Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been made clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you. My name is uh, Pete Scammon. I'm on the staff team here, and uh, it's wonderful to gather as we are with God's Word in front of us. Do keep the Bibles open at that reading. It's on page 1156 of the Pew Bibles, if you just close them. And also, in the bundle on the way in that you received... You'll find a little handout like this one here, and it's got an outline of where we're going in the next few moments. It's two-sided, so don't be caught out partway through. And um, uh, do have that that ready with the Bibles open. And uh, let me pray for us all as we look at God's Word together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that as we consider Christ this morning that you'd help us to see, to understand, to remember, to rejoice in his death and resurrection for us. And then please help us to understand, to consider, to see how that should change everything for us now in the present. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2011, the the city of Christchurch in New Zealand was rocked by a terrible earthquake. Hundreds of people were, were killed And one couple in particular, Andy and Amber, were working in Christchurch at the time, high up in an office block. And when the quake struck, the whole building began to shake and fall apart all around them. And as they clung on, they were convinced they were about to die. Amazingly, the building just about stayed up, and and they were rescued. They survived the quake. And for the following year or so, they they tried to go back to life as normal, back to the day job, back to how things were, but they they just couldn't. And so one day, they both agreed to quit their jobs. They sold their house, and they used that money to buy an old school bus. And they stripped it out and renovated it and made a mobile home to live in. And then they spent the next couple of years driving around New Zealand in search of, of experience and pleasure. The TV presenter Ben Fogel went out to spend a week with them, and he asked Andy and Amber why it was that they gave up a home and their jobs to live in a bus driving around New Zealand. And they said that that experience of living through the earthquake, of, of coming face to face with death, 
showed them how brief this life is. Far too short, they said, to spend it living in an office. If this life is the one shot we have at experience and living life, seeing the world, then quit the job, get the bus, drive around New Zealand. That's what they said to Ben. And surely they are right. What if this life is all there is? If we have one shot at life, 80 years perhaps, if God gives us that many, to live, to experience, to enjoy before the end, well then surely we should try to cram into those years as many experiences and pleasures as we can because we have just the one shot. And the Bible agrees with us on that one. If you have a Bible open, just glance across the page to verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 15. The last bit of that verse, Paul the Apostle says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Many people today are not as bold as Andy and Amber, and yet we feel the same way about life. Many people today live for the experience now. They eat and drink, pursuing pleasures, because this life is all we have, they think. The one shot, we must make the most of it. It's how the Corinthians were living, the people Paul wrote to. And here in Forward in 2019... Thinking about all of history and all of the world, we live in a moment of remarkable wealth and comfort here in Forward and the surrounding area. Uh, we are surrounded by many people who think this life is the one shot we have at happiness and they're working very hard to try to secure the best they can in this life in terms of experience, holidays, trips, good jobs, money, happiness of homes and so on. And it's very easy living where we are to begin to slip into thinking like that, that this life now is the one shot we have. Maybe there are some here this morning Maybe you're new to Christian things, and that is how you think about life. The best shot you have is to live now before the end comes. This term, we're spending five weeks thinking about wise investments in life. In a busy world with diaries crammed full of things, where does our energy and time go? So far in this series, we looked at the wisdom of investing in our relationship with the Lord, and then last week in our friendships with others, This week, we are looking at one of the clearest verses in all the Bible about how Christians should prioritize their lives. I'm talking about verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, verse 58, Therefore, my dear friends, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul wants the Corinthians and us here today, he would want little Corinna as she grows up to be a a people who who give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, to have diaries and priorities and to give the best of our energies to that work, knowing it is not in vain in this life. We're going to spend good time this morning thinking through what it means to do the work of the Lord, but first I want us to see why, and uh, you'll see in the handouts. Here's our first point as we dive in. Paul would say to us, be confident about what will happen in the future. Verse 51. Paul says, listen, I I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Paul is talking about the moment when Christ returns from heaven to earth. And at that moment, there will be a wonderful transformation. Verse 53 It is a transformation from perishable to imperishable, mortal to immortal. Paul is talking about our physical bodies. There is life after death, and that life is a physical experience with real, touchable, recognizable bodies made new, perfect. The Corinthians, they did believe in a life after death, but they thought that life was only soul. Only our spirits would live forever, not our physical human bodies. No, for the Corinthians, they had a view of eternity where our spirits would float around without bodies somehow in the clouds. So um, they had the view of their lives, a bit like this banana. Here's a banana of mine. And um, a banana has an outer skin and an inner bit of fruit. And most people chuck the skin away and they eat the fruit. There was one guy in my class at school who ate all of it, but I was just to show off, I think. But you get the point. Most of us bin the skin and, and eat the insides. The insides where it all matters, really. And so the Corinthians had this view of the skin is like their outer flesh. It, it's there for a while for protection, but eventually you, you discard it. It doesn't really matter. And in eternity, you bin the flesh. I mustn't slip on that later on. And you get... You get the bit that's left on the inside, the soul. That's where it really matters. And, and then for all eternity, there's floating around with a soul and no, no body, no outer skin. And the, the thing is, for the Corinthians, they weren't that excited about an eternity with no physical body and just a soul. They actually preferred the present existence in many ways. And so they reckoned they had one shot at a life where there was a real physical experience where the happiness could be a real and physical happiness this life only not eternity but no says Paul that's wrong the Christian hope is for an eternity where our physical bodies are perfected renewed converted upgraded to bodies that are perfect and eternal The new creation will be more real, more tangible, more physical than this life, not less. There's a wonderful transformation to come. Now, there may be some here this morning who are only mildly excited at that future transformation. Maybe it's because our our present bodies are actually working relatively well at the present and we're not groaning for new ones. Perhaps we've already run the 10K this morning. We've, we've breezed in having nailed it. And uh, we're, we're fit and active and we're just pounding through life one thing after another. Our body doesn't ache or grow. We have no ill health to worry about and we feel fine in life. And to the thought of a future transformation, we go, well, it's nice, but it doesn't really move us now. A few weeks ago, I had my 39th birthday um, and I used to think like that. I used to think that I was indestructible. But uh, after 39 years, I've discovered that uh, my hair is going gray. It's falling out. Um, my energy is not what it used to be. When I go out in the garden for a few hours, I come out exhausted. I have backache the next day. And I am becoming increasingly like my dad. <laughs> um, 
Growing up as a kid, my, my dad used to go to bed really early because he, he often didn't sleep well through the night. He'd often be awake for hours at a time at night. And so to get the eight hours, and he had to go to bed really early to get the kind of the sleep he needed. And we used to mock him for it as kids. Off, dad's off to bed already. It's like eight o'clock or something. But I don't, I don't mock him anymore. <laughs> well, at least not for that issue. Um, sorry. Um, I, I don't mock him at all. Um, but um, because I don't sleep as well as I used to. I'm awake increasingly at night, and I imagine it'll get worse and worse as the years go by. I remember uh, I spoke to a few people after the, the first service this morning, and they said, 39? You've got, you, you know nothing yet about growing old. And I, and I don't. I, I fear what is to come as I get older. But the point is, I've already started to see that what I, thought I took for granted in the past won't last forever. There'll be others of us here today who are very aware of how weak and perishable our bodies are. Falling energy, failing eyesight, failing health, our hearing going. Perhaps we can't go on the same holidays we used to because we can't get the health insurance to go away anywhere. We have to stay close to our doctors in case something happens. And the thing is, as the years go by, our health won't get better, it just gets worse. And faced with failing bodies, we wonder if this promise of a wonderful future transformation is just too good to be true. We just can't visualize what it's like to have bodies that don't creak and are full of pain. This promise of Paul sounds like one of those prize draw scams you get through the post. You've won a million pounds, just call this expensive phone number to, re- to collect it, and there's no prize, just a scam. My grandmother died of cancer when she was in her 50s and those who were alive and around her tell me that it was an incredibly painful final few weeks for her but she was a strong Christian and in the hospital at her bedside she asked for a um, record player to be brought in and she had played again and again and again that wonderful piece from Handel's Messiah taken from these very verses The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, incorruptible. And her absolute rock-solid certainty of what would happen to her beyond death stems from what happened to a man 2,000 years ago. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. He didn't stay dead. He was raised three days later. And how he was raised was to a physical eternal life with a body that could be touched and hugged, hands that could be felt and seen. He was recognizable to his disciples, a first fruit of a greater harvest that all those who are in Christ will experience when our turn comes and we die and are raised to new life. There will be a wonderful transformation, but also there will be a wonderful victory. Look at verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then it's as if Paul takes us back to the playground. And you know what kids are like in the playground. They taunt each other. Well, here Paul taunts the great last enemy, death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? When I was younger, computer games were just coming in, and the games I used to play had sort of, I don't know, two paddles and a ball in between that they'd sort of bounce back and forth. That was as good as it got when I was younger. And nowadays, computer games are incredible. 
And I'm told that often the way they work is at the end of the game, you've got through all the levels, but at the final level, there's this great enemy, a great boss that kind of blocks the way to finishing the game. And uh, this boss feels like they are beyond defeat and they're armored and have terrible weapons. And death is like a great boss standing over our lives, blocking the way to anything beyond. And the worst thing about the boss that is death is that he has a terrible, terrible sting. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You see, death itself is scary. Death is formidable. But be in no doubt about this. The worst thing about death is that death has a sting, and it's sin. You see, the worst thing about experiencing death is that we will all die as sinners. We will all die as those who've rebelled against God, who've broken his law, and so on our own we deserve his wrath and judgment. But look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A previous boss of mine tells the story of a little girl who was out in the garden playing and laughing and having a great time. Her dad was in the study just next door working. And then he heard from the garden the cries of laughter turned to cries of fear, screaming, terror. And he rushed outside and he saw his daughter being chased around the garden by a a bee. The bee just wouldn't let her go and he ran over to her and he put his arms around her and she felt him just flinch and then relax. And then he said, it's, it's safe now. The bee can't sting you anymore. And he said that because the bee had just stung him. On the cross, Jesus bore the Father's wrath, judgment for our sins onto himself. And what has been judged once cannot be judged again. The sting has been drawn. And so we look back 2,000 years and see Jesus dying on a cross and we know that the sting of sin has been taken, drawn by him. And we look at his resurrection three days later and we know that death has been defeated. There is now a way through into eternal life. And so as we think about our own futures, those of us who are trusting in Christ, we look back at the cross and see a victory over sin, the resurrection, a victory over death. And we know that when our moment comes and we face death, it'll be a victory for us through death and over sin because of what's happened 2,000 years ago. Be certain about what will happen in the future. It is wonderful news. It is the best news in all of history in all the universe. And we'd imagine Paul finishing this section by just saying, Christian, rejoice, it's amazing. And it would be right to do that, but he doesn't finish that way. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, therefore, in light of this certain future we have in Christ, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
came across a major survey that was done last year. And in the survey, people were asked to consider this statement. Jesus Christ was physically raised from the dead. Only 9% of the people surveyed strongly agreed with that statement. Which means that uh, tomorrow morning, um, if we're students on campus or at the school gate or in our workplace or at the coffee shop, 91% of the people that we will see do not believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus, which means they do not believe and have any security on the great things we've just been seeing from 1 Corinthians 15, this life after death, this transformation to come. They cannot possibly believe that with any certainty, which means that 91% of the people we hear talking about life and what matters most, the people, the things that they're living for and prizing, the, the Facebook feeds, the adverts, are all coming from a world that thinks this life now is the one shot we have at experience in life. Make the most of it because when it's over, it's over and gone. That's what this world thinks. And that's why Paul says to the Christians, you've got to stand firm. Let nothing move you because most people don't realize that in Christ there is a glorious future, a victory over death and sin, a great transformation of our bodies to come. Keep on believing that and not just standing firm. He then says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does Paul mean when he talks about work and labor in the Lord? Look, I don't think he is talking about paid employment. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that what we do for day jobs doesn't matter, and and in two weeks' time, we'll think much more about how Christians should view that kind of work. But that's not how Paul uses the word here in 1 Corinthians. Across the whole letter, if we had time to read it through, we'll know he uses the word work a lot. And he wants the Christians to be working in the Lord. And I put on the handout some of the references of where he uses it. And again and again in 1 Corinthians, when he talks about working, he means building up the people of God, growing the church, building up Christians. And next week, we'll think a bit more about how we do that in terms of our Christian service. But this week, Paul wants us to see it. I want us to focus on another part of what this work includes, which is about speaking about Jesus, telling people who don't yet know about this hope in Christ, the good news of what Christ has done. So just glance back with me at verse nine of 1 Corinthians to see this over the page. 1 Corinthians 15, verse nine. So Paul writes, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Can you see that word worked in verse 10? It's the same word that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. So here is Paul describing his life. It's a life of working. He works harder than all the other apostles. And what do apostles do? Well, in verse 11, he says, we preach. We preach about Christ and his death and resurrection. 
So here is Paul the Apostle giving his life to go around the Mediterranean, working in the Lord by preaching that there is life after death in Jesus Christ. And many people think it's a waste of time. It's vain, it's futile. So glance forward to verse 14 of of 1 Corinthians, just a few verses further forward. Paul says, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. See, if Christ has not been raised, then there's no point telling people that there's forgiveness of sins, there's life after death. There's no point going around the Mediterranean preaching about Christ because it's just completely futile. If, if someone at work tomorrow asked us why we are a Christian, we'd have to say, well, there's no point to it. There's no reason. There's nothing gained from it. If, it's like giving someone a present all nicely wrapped up. And we say to them, here's a gift from me to you. And they, they take it and they receive it. They open it. And inside it's empty. Nothing there. That's what it would be like to be a Christian preaching Christ if he's not been raised. It, it's useless in vain. Christ has been raised. The word for useless in verse 14 is that word vain in 58. Paul's saying to us, look, this task, this this work of of speaking about Christ, it's not useless, it's not in vain. It's true, it changes everything. So he say to us, be certain about what matters most in the present. Working for the Lord, proclaiming Christ." The news about Jesus Christ, well, it's, it's far better than any vaccine. A vaccine just extends our life in the present, but Christ gives us eternal life. And yet, so often as Christians, we stockpile the good news in secret rather than spreading it far and wide. And I wonder, why is this? I think in my own life, it's at least in part because I think too much of this present life I think that true, lasting happiness and joy and experience can, can be found in this life. But it can't. Uh, that couple, Andy and Amber, that I mentioned at the beginning, as far as I know, they managed to travel for two years around New Zealand, and then they got bored. They put the bus up for sale, and the plan, as I heard it, was to head to Australia to, to discover further adventure, new things to explore, and you see, that, that's what happens in life. When, when we fix all our hopes and dreams on this short life to give us the ultimate experience and pleasure we long for, eventually those things become boring. They don't meet our needs. We give up and go to something else. And yet we keep trying. We, at work, we aim for the promotion so that we can earn more money so that we can buy a bigger house in the better neighborhood to have a better social standing and to have better schools for our kids, thinking that these things will make us happy in this life, but they never satisfy the way we hope. I think too much of this present life and and I think too little of the life to come. I think too little of the reality of, of death. Too little of the great problem of God's judgment hanging over the world because of sin. I think too little of the joy of that first morning waking up in the new creation, knowing that our bodies have been fixed no more aches and pains, the the thought that there's no more lurking fear that one day we will die again because in the new creation we will never die again. I look at my neighbors, the life they have, the the, the joys, the securities, laughs, and I think they have enough. But they have nothing compared to what Christ offers us. And so Paul urges us 
give yourselves fully to the work of telling people about Jesus. In the light of eternity, that work is never in vain. This week, a number of us went to a conference and uh, my colleague, Chris Tufnell, who's a curate here, found himself speaking to a couple who, remarkably, are also from New Zealand and were from Christchurch and had also experienced that very same earthquake back in 2011 as Andy and Amber had experienced. Remarkably, they too were um, showing just how fragile this life is. Like Andy and Amber, in the aftermath of the earthquake, they couldn't keep their jobs. They actually quit their jobs, just like Andy and Amber. But unlike Andy and Amber, they didn't go and buy a bus. No, instead they quit their day jobs to go and spend more time telling people about Jesus. And that is what they're doing now to this day. Because this life is short, but there's a way through into eternal life, and it's only through the Lord Jesus. And so for us this morning, as we finish, maybe some of us here this morning should consider quitting our day jobs and giving the best of our energies to proclaiming Christ. I know for others of us, you're thinking very carefully about going on the next church graft over to Uti Bridge. I know some of you are considering selling houses that you care about very much willing to say goodbye to friends that you care about very much, willing to go to a new area to start all over again, but for the great longing that Christ has preached in people who don't yet know him come to a saving faith in Christ. That's a wonderful thing to do in light of what Paul's been saying. But of course, we don't need to go to Uti Bridge to speak about Christ. All of us have neighbors or family or friends, colleagues all around us. Every Monday and Wednesday morning across the way in the church center downstairs, we have small talk. Parents and carers bring their young children along and they play and the parents and carers chat. And many who come don't yet know about Christ and what he offers. And it's always hard to find Christians who are willing to give up a morning to come and just chat with people, befriend people, love them, and more than that, to tell them about Jesus because we're convinced that he is the best news in the world. That would be a great way to to labor in the Lord just there on a Monday or Wednesday morning. Others of us in our day jobs realize that if we are to speak boldly about Jesus with our colleagues, the people around us, they may well not like us for it. We might lose social capital. Uh, We might be missed when it comes to next job promotions. Our careers might be limited because of it. In all these things, to stand up for Christ may well bring a cost in the short term. But Paul would say to us, in light of eternity, in light of what is to come, it's not in vain. It's worth it. As the missionary Jim Elliot once famously said, not long before he himself was murdered for telling people about Jesus, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, as we've considered Christ again this morning, we thank you so very much for his glorious death and resurrection. Father, we thank you that at the cross, 
the sting of sin is taken away. We thank you at the resurrection, death has been defeated. And Father, we thank you that now, as we think about our eternities, although death might be scary, beyond it is a glorious and wonderful transformation. A world put right, broken bodies healed, eternity with you with nothing to fear. And so, Father, as we consider Christ, we thank you for all that he has done for us and for all that lies ahead of us. And Father, we ask that you'd help us to believe that the best is yet to come. To not think that these years that we have now in this life is the one shot we have at happiness. Please help us to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, including speaking about Christ to anyone and everyone, even if it's costly and time-consuming and difficult. Help us to labor knowing it's not in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.